It is now 9.30. Okay, thank you. Good morning, everybody. It's uh, nice to see uh, some, and I don't mean this in age, but some old and familiar faces that are with us today. And it is this time of year when we, uh, we see Paula. And then, Dave, we haven't seen you live, it seems like, in a while. I could be wrong about that, but it's uh, good to see you here. So let's... Um, Let's get started here. Where, why can I not? I don't see my agenda. What have I done? But I, yeah. Yep, I was just on the wrong page. Okay, so let's have roll call. Director Hoffman? Here. Director Cox? Present. Chair Page? I am absolutely here. Directors in remote, we have Limba, Ed Ramirez. Consultants, we have Paula Cohn from HDL Corn and Cohn, Dave Whithone from Insight Investment. Presenting staff, we have General Manager Adnan Aneptawi and Kathy Cortner. Okay, and I'll say again, good morning. Uh, let's have approval of the agenda. Good. Yes. We're good with that? Okay, so we are uh, done with that. How about approval of the meeting summary of January 9th? I'll defer to you, too. Yeah, it was yes, fine. It's fine. Okay. And now the finance report. Anything that needs to be asked about or pointed out? Okay. Okay. Before we get started, uh, we have a lot on our agenda today. Uh, very robust. I know I need to leave out of here about 11.15, 11.20. I don't want anyone to go too fast, because um, we certainly don't want that, but we also want to keep things sped along. Um, if you can read between the lines there, of, uh, but we still, we have to have time to ask our questions and, and make sure we get all the information out. So where I've just said absolutely nothing, um, we will begin, and uh, I believe we have HDL property tax review and forecast for 2014, but Adnan, I'll send it over to you if you want to uh, tee this up any further. Yes, we welcome Ms. Paula Cohn. Thank you for uh, providing these updates. This is uh, an important revenue source, of course, for the agency, so we look forward to this update. Morning. Give us a moment. They'll get it. But we need it for the record. Well, Paula, how have you been? We haven't seen you. Oh. We're sorry to hear about that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that interesting about perspective? Comment, and I've heard it all before. There it is. You know. You're live now. Okay, thank you for inviting me back. Uh, I, and I have to comment on a couple of things. I know that all I do is numbers. And uh, I apologize because property tax is numbers. It's percentage increases, it's all of that. So, uh, you know, I've tried to liven it up a little bit with some inter, uh, interjected material. And, and as usual, uh, I'm going to start 
with the uh, uh, property tax timeline, we're well into 23-4. We're looking towards 24-5. So the timeline I'm looking at today is going to be the budget that you're going to be putting together in the next couple months. So looking at what's going to be happening in 24-5. The uh, roll was leaned January 1st, about a month and a half ago. Uh, it is in the hands of the assessor, and it will stay there until the end of June. He makes corrections. He adds properties that were sold. He adds properties or takes away properties that were burned down, applies property adjustments, and does a lot of massaging with that data. At the end of June, it gets transferred to the auditor. The auditor's job is to extend the role, and that means they apply the taxes, the direct assessments, your debt service, all of those co uh, components that make up the tax bill. Uh, at the end of August, it goes to the treasurer tax collector. Their job is to print, mail the bills, and get the money. So they've got a pretty focused job. Once uh, the, the bills are sent to the taxpayers, they have to pay their taxes starting in November 2024. In this case, becomes delinquent after December the 10th and in February 2025. Money's paid to the tax collector. They let the auditor know that the money has been received, and the auditor gets the money out to all the taxing agencies. And so by the time we reach your last allocations in July or August 2025, we are 12 to 18 months down the road from what's happening. I'm telling you that because you're probably looking around today, we're in 2024, and seeing development coming out of the ground in 2024. You are not going to see that on the roll in 24-5. The roll started January 1, 2024. So anything that's being built today, you're not going to see until 25-6 or beyond. And I drove through town, and of course I saw in Atalanta, Hesperia, I, I've seen the large distribution warehouses that are that I can see, and I'm sure there are others. And because I don't have all of the cities that you serve as clients, I can't really tell you just what that bubble might be out there. There is a little bit of slowing right now, and so I, I think we're going to take that into consideration as we go through. So let's look at what your growth was in 23-4. That is the bottom set of bars here. The district-wide growth, and this does include the portion of the district that was in the redevelopment agency, grew 10.1%. The county of San Bernardino grew 9.5%. And that's the very bottom bar. And the district and the county shares are on the far right. Uh, if I just looked at the general fund portion, that portion outside of your uh, outside of the as a city that are in the former RDA, take the former RDA away, you grew a little more than 11%. I'm pointing that out because if I were to look, oh dear, at a 30-year history, which this is, and this is going back to 1994, about four years after I started this business, and you can see that we hit the peak before the Great Recession in 2008-9, and then we didn't hit that peak value again until 2019-20. So there was roughly 11 years between one peak and the second peak. If I were to look at all 30 of these years and do an average, your average growth on an annual basis would be 5.38%. Remember, you grew 10.1% this year, almost double that. 
and it took 11 years, as I mentioned, to get back. If we look at the growth just over the past four years, those four right-hand bars, the last four years, the total growth compounded has been 31.4%. Again, a pretty much an outlier. If we were to divide that by the four years, you've got about 7.7% growth each year. And again, uh, you're not gonna see that in 24 or five, and I'm gonna get to that and the reason for that. And I think if I've got a narrative to partake and leave you with today, it's, you know, you can't always have 10% growth. And I know you'd love it, but it's, it's just not sustainable. Okay, what caused the growth in the current fiscal year? And again, we're looking at 23-4, and in order for something to be on this roll, it happened in the 2022 calendar year. So to begin with, we have a 2% CPI that is granted per Prop 13 if the CPI is not lower than 2%, and it was not, it was 6%, and that's why we're seeing the growth that we're seeing. And the parcels in the district added 1.68% of your 10.07 growth due to doing nothing more but sitting where they were, didn't sell, didn't add to construction, just got the 2% CPI. So your home, my home, probably just got that 2% CPI high. Beyond that, we look at the homes and the other properties that sold between the two tax years, and they were responsible for 52% of your growth. More than half of your growth came from properties in 2022 selling for more than they did, uh, okay, at more than the value was. And so that added $2.4 billion of your 4.6 total. The next two items are the new construction. New construction added about one and a quarter percent to your bottom line. Uh, that's a, a nice healthy growth. And our forecast models go in conservative. We do not include new construction. We encourage you to do that. I think uh, going back and looking at the last five years, you've had at least one percent of an additive of new construction consistently. Not budgeting that is fine with me. I'm, I can be a conservative person, but if you need to find the money, don't leave it on the floor. Budget the 1% additional. And then we had other changes. And for us, other changes are corporations that change ownership. We don't see that as an ownership change, and we find it after the fact. Uh, there were exemptions that were not applied on time this year, so that, that temporarily inflates the role. We had some Prop 8s that were restored. You can see just above, above the other. Paula, excuse me. Yeah. What overinflate? What has the chance of overinflating the role? I didn't catch all of that. Oh, uh, if if there is a corporation that changes. Okay. 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 That's a sale, but it's not a single family home sale. It's not a multifamily. It is a corporation change. And if if the corporation owns property, and more than fifty percent of that corporation changes there is a revaluation of that property, but we don't see that as a sale. Okay. It's kind of this shell sell. And we I just didn't catch it. Yeah, we, and we can't find it. Uh, personal property additions are always uh, a real positive thing. And I, I want to comment, if, you, if I was going to mention, if you look at the, the item just above other changes where it says unsecured value change, uh, that's the assets that are being put inside these new... Um, warehouse buildings. So you've got all this robotic equipment that's being installed. Yes, it's going to depreciate, but I think that this $150 million is just the tip of the iceberg looking at what I'm seeing out there. And again, I cannot forecast that. That's, that's self-reported. 
I don't get any any inference in that, but I do notice the last couple of years you've had a significant increase due to unsecured assets. Uh, the, the bottom, the value change by component, we've already talked about the Mojave Water Agency growth and the countywide change. And then on the upper right hand, <clears throat> just to point out your revenue receipts, uh, the general fund, and that's the portion <clears throat> of the uh, agency that existed before Prop 13 and gets a share of the 1% levy. And then that, that's 1.614 million. And then below that, you've got the Mojave Water Agency two part A and B, generating 28.1 million. And the land only uh, debt uh, that's generating another 15.2. So that's 43.4 plus the 1.6, so roughly $45 million in this collective revenue source. Okay, <clears throat> as I mentioned, I, I need to talk a, a, a little bit about what we saw between 2022 and 2023 in terms of, and these are home sales. Uh, in March of 2022, we had our first interest rate hike. And we had 11 interest rate hikes between March 2022 and the end of 2023. And so initially, between March and June, things were pretty good in 2022. And then once we got to about a 5% interest rate, the brakes started being put on. People were thinking, well, you know, how... how why isn't it 2%? Why isn't it 3%? I can't pay 5%. I bought my first house for 13.2. So I have no sympathy with these 5%ers out there. And so as we got closer to that 7% rate, we saw fewer properties coming on the market and there was less of a bidding up process. So people were paying less for their property in essence because they needed to pay less to afford the interest rate that they were going to be engaged in. So on a month-by-month -month basis, between 2022 and 2023, there were two months that actually had more sales than they had in the prior year. October had 31 more sales in 23 than in 22, and December had the same number of sales in 2023 as they had in 2022. The total number of sales last year was roughly 2,000 and... and uh, there's just roughly 2,000 more than we had this year. That was uh, uh, the number of sales were about 25.7% fewer. And then the property uh, areas that are in those two squares, the red square and the blue square, that I'm not going to point arrows to, that is the additive to the bottom line due to sales. So last year, the additive uh, due to single-family homes was $1.38 billion. This year, it's $838 million. So uh, we've got a significant decline in those two numbers as well. So current year, you're, we just showed you on the graph that sales added 5.28% to your bottom line. To look at what this is going to mean for 24-5, and I've, I've, again, I've blocked out the area so that you can focus on what I'm talking about. We just saw under the, uh, we've got three blocks here. The, the left hand are the single family sales. The middle of the report is everything but single family. And then the right third are the totals. And I'm going to go to the right third. There were 10,124 uh, 10, sales in the district this year in comparison to 13,732. 
So roughly 3,600 more sales last year than this year. The amount that is circled, uh, okay, I'm gonna back that out. The amount that is circled, that 2.45 billion, that's what was added for that 5.28% growth in 23-4. The full year last year, you've got almost a billion dollars less in sales. That's why you're not going to see the same. It takes $312.8 million in added growth in your district to move your revenues up 1%. That number one more time. 312.8. So that means that the district has roughly $31 billion in value in the general fund portion of the district. You've got other assets that are in the redevelopment that you've got sometimes a little more wonkier deals going with residual revenue, et cetera. And so to, to increase your revenue 1%, we need the 312.1 million. If I apply, if I divide the 759 million that you've got added in the general fund areas to date, by that 312 million, we're showing growth of 2.42%. This year you had 5.28%. So 3% less, uh, that, that's significant. So if we, were to have forecasted your 10% last year. For this year, you've already taken away 3%, you're at 7%. And we're not forecasting 7%, by the way. <clears throat> so, you know, this is, it's, it's sort of, uh, I, I think for, for me, a, a tell to what we might see in 25-6. We're still at a high interest rate. Things didn't look as well as they thought they were going to look with the report that we saw today. Um, I don't think we're going to see the interest rates make a difference until after late spring, early summer, whether or not we're going to see significant number of homes dumped back into the market. You know, if, if you want to sell your home because you want to downsize and you're in your 60s and you're paying a 3% interest, you're not going to sell your home right now for a 6% interest. You know, you, you may be a limited income. So you're sitting on that house. You want to get a little more for it. You want to pay a little less interest. And that's what's ho happening. People are holding homes. It's starting to ease a little bit. And they're starting to build more homes as well. Let's jump in. Paula, what was the report that you got this morning? I heard of an NPR, and I was driving, and I couldn't take notes. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was the infl inflation report. It was an inflation report, yeah. 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 Did it go up or down? Up. It went up, yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, it, it was actually higher than what they were expecting. So they were expecting a 2% inflationary rate. It was a little more than three. So, you know, and, and they're saying that they're, they're going to see a little ripple of that going forward. And I'm not Chris, and I'm obviously not Dave, so uh, I'm not the economist here. Uh, and we've looked at this report a couple of times report, uh, before. It looks at uh, the fact that home sale prices are, are a major driver of your growth. Uh, this shows a roughly 20-year history. Uh, we saw the point at which uh, we hit the peak before the Great Recession when your median sale price was 305000 It went down to 105000 uh, roughly five years later at the bottom of the trough and then started digging itself out. We didn't hit the high point again until 2021 when you were about 45000 above where you started. Last year, 2022, a good year, the growth was 12.86%. 
And in this current year, 2023, again, the influencer for 24.5, the sale prices are down 2.03%. Every time we see one of these kind of retrenching, and you'll see that in 2011, we come back roaring. I have not seen a decline yet where we have not surpassed and come back roaring. Just takes three or four years and you know we're back. Uh, so I don't get as worried as I used to about this. Uh, I think it's probably gonna turn around in 24. And you recall that when I was out last year and I thought I had this animated, I do not. Uh, the uh, report on the, on the left is what I showed you last year. And that showed you that every city in your district had a median sale price in 2022 that was higher than it was in 2021. Countywide, the very bottom there, the growth was 10.34%, higher than it had been the prior year, everybody looking rosy. And then you look on the one on the right, which is uh, after the 23 data, and only Hesperia is in a positive position. I'll tell you that in November, it was 0.00. So it actually did pick up some ground uh, on the positive side, every other community that you serve is in a negative position. And countywide, the prices are flat. They're exactly what they were last year. And this is uh, where I made a mistake. If you have the original, I showed you that Jess Ranch, including Sun City, was at 33500 And Carrie said, I want to go get in line to get that house. <laughs> so uh, that, that, uh, this has been updated. And, and I know these are selected areas of interest that you've indicated that you wanted to see. Uh, Silver Lakes, Spring Valley Lake, uh, both uh, uh, are in, uh, well, Spring Valley Lake has the same sale price that it had last year. Actually, uh, the percent change was down $5,500 and that the percent change was down as well. I have to go look at that. That can't be right. It must be 445. So I will check that out before the meeting. You're going to get another email from me. Uh, Silver Lakes was the only area that showed a positive change in value. And Jess Ranch uh, had a $20,000 decl $20, decline. So it was valued at uh, $3,550. $1,500 last year. And if you look at the price change uh, the prior year, they're all almost double-digit growth. So whether that was um, a, a little bit of a, a bubble, and now this is a more realistic, I'm not sure. Uh, the median prices uh, in, in these areas last year grew um, around 11%. Uh, the number of sales this year, Silver Lakes had 57 fewer sales. Spring Valley Lake had 78 fewer sales, and Jess Ranch had eight fewer sales than they had last year. So we have kind of a, a variance there. Uh, there are no detached homes in the Jess, uh, Jess Valley Ranch, including Sun City. They're all attached condos or townhomes, and that's why the NA is in that first detached column. Your top 10 taxpayers don't change significantly, although the, uh, the ICE Center uh, that used to be the, the geo, um, uh, what do I want to call it? It was a, a prison of some sort. I'm not sure if it, was, if it was ever used as a prison. It was built for that purpose. That was in the top 10 last year. It's number 11. Uh, numbers 1, 2, and 5 are all cement um, 
businesses, all in the county unincorporated area, all large uh, extraction points, uh, and they don't show well in pictures. Uh, the Walmart stores in Victor Victorville, Yucca Valley, Apple Valley, and Asperia are number three. That's uh, at the upper right-hand corner in terms of uh, what it looks like. Uh, the General Atomics Aeronautical Systems, that's number six, the top left. Uh, you've got two power sites. One is the Desert Power Trust at the bottom uh, and uh, the Intermountain Power Agency on the left. And then uh, you've got Prologis on the bottom right. That is the Amazon Fulfillment Center. Uh, I'm not sure what the presence currently of the unsecured assets is there. I do expect that it's probably uh, has a potential to be in the 200 million. So if it's less than that, we might see growth. I kind of like the fact that you've got all those planes kind of <laughs> bumping up towards Amazon on the bottom there. And then uh, number 10, uh, always in the mix here, is the Mesa Ridge Victor Valley Mall. And how did we do? Well, you know, you are always happy to go conservative with me, and I'm always glad with that. When I come in and I say, oh, my goodness, I was under, you say, well, thank God, because we didn't budget what it could have been. So uh, the general fund portion, uh, we budgeted last year without new construction, 6.15%. Uh, the new construction added one and a quarter percent. Uh, the sales transactions without owner changes, as I, as I mentioned, uh, and, and then the reappraisals were 1%. And there were a higher number of Prop 8s restored than we forecasted. And that accounted for the 3.25% that we were under. If you would have added the new growth due to uh, completed new construction, we would have been still off about 2.5% for the same reasons. Um, the... MWA2, uh, parts A and B, that's below the black line there. We budget, we estimated a 75 that grew 10.8, so roughly 3% more. Again, a lot more new construction that was added, more than 1.5%. Uh, we also had unsecured growth of uh, almost half a percentage point in that area. And then the land only is, for us, a really tough nut to crack. What we are seeing are additional parcels added, as those parcels are subdivided, the pieces are worth more than the whole was. And so that added 1.73%. Uh, I don't know what's going to be subdivided until it's subdivided and show, is shown on the roll. So I, I certainly wouldn't uh, advocate budgeting that additive every year. Just know that that's one of the reasons that you're always going to be under, under budgeted. And again, if you're happy with those uh, lower prices, I am too. Uh, looking at... 24.5, and uh, don't gasp too hard. Again, this does not have any new construction. We're right about 4%, 3.98 in, in your general fund portion. If you were to add a percentage point due to new construction, you would be at 4.98, about half of the growth that you saw last year. And that's going to be my song here. You know, look for half of what you had last year. Expect more because you always do get more. The Water Agency 2 Part A and B, we're showing 4.98. Again, add 1% to that, and you're at 5.98, roughly 6%. And the same thing goes for the land only. When I combine those into a graph 
and show you what the historical of uh, 50% of the sales, not 100% of the sales, which is certainly a conservative number. So if you don't want to go with the 3.98, I would be willing to bet my career on the 4.45. You're going to be just fine uh, going with that amount as well. And then we do a five-year forecast. We've, we, we've had a lot of arguments in, in the office over this. I guess it depends on whether or not there's a recovery of any significance in 24-5. And there's an election in 24-5. I don't know what impact that's going to have one way or the other. Um, at this point, uh, we're budgeting for 25-6, a slight increase over the current year. Our model uh, is, is, is assuming similar sale activity in 24 that we saw in 23 that will impact 25-6. And then the, the, the right three years, 2026-7 uh, through 2028-9, we're looking at a long-term average. We're looking at a 20-year average. So that graph I showed you of sales transactions, that's the kind of growth we're looking at and what does that uh, balance itself again. That was the five point something, correct? Yes, yes. Okay, that's why we see it go down. Right, that's why you see it go down. Uh, and again, a five-year forecast, you know, we retool every year. If we find that 24-5 is a really robust year, that's going to impact everything to the right of it going out as we move forward. And that's my presentation. I think it was about 20 minutes. I'm ready for any, any questions. Well, I'm, I'm going to just get started, not so much with a question, but just to remind every, anyone who's in here or, or listening, um, Paula, I can't remember how many years ago that we hired you to come in and do this, but I know as a, um, a board member that this has been very helpful having you and then the economists come in and comparing and looking at these very conservative uh, numbers. I don't remember us ever... Um, getting out of whack on our, our budget, and just I, I really think it's helpful that we go and look at this as one piece as Carrie and her team are uh, putting the budget together and um, really appreciate seeing these these numbers that Thank we're you. looking at them conservatively, knowing that most years we're probably going to surpass them, but we have something that is, at least me as a board member, know that, oh, we're going to be okay. Right. We're going to be okay. When we get the data in July, August, and we prepare the reports that I, I met with Carrie about a month or two ago. We have the actual revenue in that report. So at mid-year, you have a better number. Whether you choose to go with that better number you know, or stay with the conservative number, you know, I, I don't know how, how you operate. But we do have the right, correct number based on values enrolled, tax bills mailed that were mailed last September that, you know, so we're, we're chasing this in, in a similar way that you're chasing it. Kathy, anything? Could you go back one slide, please? Absolutely. I just noticed on this one, when you have um, unsecured personal property, and you, the numbers are straight across the board. Yes, and, and unsecured personal property depreciates every right. year. And they appeal that quite often. They do, but you have new businesses that are bringing in new equipment. So what we've chosen to do is say, okay, those appeals, those declines are going to be supplanted by new purchases. We'll budget it flat. You saw that your growth this year was $150 million. So we were low by 50%. But this is not a big part of your value. If you've got... 
you know, $32 billion in value, 100 million is not a big part, and 50 million is certainly even less. Thank you. Sure. So, Paula, this is one of my favorite presentations every year, and I know we get a redo at the board level, so I look forward to that as well. Um, I am fine the fact that you underestimate, because that means then we're not over-budgeting, but um, I just go back to that old adage, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, and, and the tools that you bring to the table for us to, to do our budgeting are such a, a valuable, um, I think, planning tool for us. And I am excited to see that for the first time, Silver Lakes is outpacing Spring Valley Lake. So <laughs> every yeah, year Percentage-wise, but not been. in overall value. <laughs> Down. <laughs> Healthy competition there. <laughs> I like the rural lake community compared to the urban lake community. That's all. Anything thank else? You, Paula. No. Again, thank you, Paula. Thank Appreciate you. Well, all gonna, the work I'm that your team I'm going to sit in does. the audience briefly to hear a little bit of this before I get back on the road. It was not pretty going opposite way as I was coming up this morning, so <laughs> give it a chance. Thank you. Okay. Now we're on to item number six, our investment management program review with Dave, and Dave, remind me, because I, I just lose track of time. When's the last time we saw you here live? I'm trying to remember, and I just last don't. Year, I Has it been a year? I think it's been a year, year in the summer. I'm, you know, sometimes I come in the summer. Yeah. And, uh, but I, uh, I think it was a year because uh, there was snow on the mountains last time I was here. So I okay. remember commenting on it, you know, later uh, this year. So. Well, it's always good to see you. Thank you for coming. My, my pleasure, and, and it's nice to see everyone. I'd like to say, you know, typically you start off saying, well, I've got good news and I've got bad news, but today I think we've only got good news. I mean, really, the economy is absolutely doing great, and we haven't seen these levels of rates in about 16 years. So it's nice in being in the fixed income business to see rates up a little. It's not great for the housing market, that's for sure. And it's been tough on the housing market this last year, but I think we are going to see some uh, some rebounds. So let's let's take a look at where interest rates are uh, now and where they've been uh, uh, in the last year. And then we are going to talk a little bit about some of the economic data that came out today. <clears throat> You'll see the light green line here was where interest rates were uh, at the end of December in 22. The dark green line is where they were at the end of December in 23. The only notable difference is that the very, very short end three-month Treasury bills were much higher at the end of 23, but everything else pretty similar. I, this, unfortunately, these are moving around all the time. So that um, the uh, end of 23 uh, in December, the two-year, take that for an example, was paying 425. You see it right up there. As we walked in today, it's paying 460. So that movement has been jumping around. You've been getting some oscillation back and forth on there. Uh, at the end of December, everyone was absolutely convinced that there were going to be six Fed rate cuts next year, 
and the market had adjusted and dropped those interest rates down. Now, as we've come back out and the inflation number was part of that, all of a sudden we, we're up 14 basis points just this morning, so in the two-year area. So we've got a lot of volatility. No one knows exactly what's happening. Uh, I will say that last year everyone completely, uh, every major economist completely missed what was happening in the market last year, in the economy last year. So at the end of um, at the end of 22, so I think like October and November, Bloomberg did a survey of all the major economists as to, and they do this periodically, their outlook on the next 12 months and how many of them thought there was going to be a recession. 97% of the economists at the end of 22 said there was going to be a recession within 12 months, so sometime in 2023. So what did the economy do? The economy absolutely caught on fire and went up. It didn't go down. Everyone was predicting that we would have below trend growth in 23, and we had above trend growth. When I say what's trend, if you look at before the pandemic, 2019, you look at like a 10-year average on GDP, it was about 1.9%. So just call it, say, 2%. So 2% is trend growth. Well, what did we do last year? We did 2.5% growth. So it was above trend. Everyone was predicting we'd do uh, 1.5. Bloomberg Economics predicted we'd be in a recession. They're still predicting we're going to be in a recession. The fourth quarter GDP was at 3.3% growth. So we came out of the end of 23. We were basically accelerating. And we're coming in very hot in 2024. So the economy looks very, very good. good. Let's go down a couple of graphs. We'll talk about some of the things. Job openings. Yes, job openings have been coming down. But again, think of the fact that we're at 3.7% unemployment rate and the 50-year low was 3.4%. So when I went to school many, many decades ago, we used to say 5% was frictional unemployment. So we still have very, very robust employment. And you see this in some of the service numbers, and we're going to talk about that when we get to inflation. It's still difficult to hire people. Even though the number of job openings is slowly dropping, that unemployment rate at 3.7% is still very, very hot, and it's hard to hire skilled people. Um, drop down another one. Poor inflation gauge. This is what came out this morning. You had CPI come out this morning. And the headline number is a little bit of a mixed message. So the headline number dropped from 3.4% to 3.1%. Keep in mind, in mid-2022, we were at 9% on the CPI. So we've come down 6%. The, the problem we're having now is what they call the last mile problem, right? So you get down from three, down to 3%, and getting from that to the Fed's target can be a little challenging. It's trying to wring inflation out on that last piece. And what's keeping it up? Some of it is that service sector of trying to hire people because it's very, very difficult. Um, and a lot of my you know, public entities, that Carrie and I were talking about it earlier, it's very difficult for hiring in the public sector um, 
because you've got some of the budgetary constraints there. So it's challenging. And, um, and that area is one of the things that's keeping that service sector is one of the things that's keeping inflation a little hotter. Goods, goods inflation have come way down. In fact, goods are starting <clears throat> to break down below the 2% inflation level. But it's services and to some degree, housing and rents are also sticky on the way down. They don't come, well, you think about rents itself. You know, rents rarely really drop dramatically. It's, 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 it's one of those situations where they tend to be stickier. So next week we're going to get uh, PCE come out. Um, that's actually the Fed's uh, favored measure of inflation, personal consumption expenditures rather than the uh, CPI, consumer price index. Both measured baskets of inflation, but they, it's, it's, uh, they measure them slightly differently. The Fed does prefer the core PCE that's without food and energy because they tend to be the most volatile components. But Dave, in that evaluation, does it consider consumer debt? Because I heard something that, you know, credit card charges are in the billions now because the, the consumers are overextended because of inflation. It, it doesn't take that into account in those inflation numbers, but they certainly are, are watching that. And consumer debt is up, and so are consumer defaults. Oh, so, yeah. you know, the, the, the default rates is actually uh, going up a little bit. Interestingly enough, um, corporations are doing much better than individuals are. Uh, corporations are getting twice as many upgrades as downgrades. So corporations, and you see that, that's why you see the stock market doing so well, right? Because earnings are up and, and, the, and uh, most of the companies are beating earning estimates. So companies are doing a little bit better. Some of the consumers are not doing as well. Um, because, mostly because um, they're not getting, they're still not getting the wage increases that are above the the uh, that some of the inflation, so that's a bit that's a big part of it. But let's let's go back to that PCE. PCE, the last reading was 2.6 percent. Keep in mind the Fed's target is 2 percent, so we're getting darn close. And in fact, if you look at PCE for the last six months, that inflation number has been at 2 percent. It's the when you add the next six months the go backwards the next six months that you're over it. But as if we can continue on at this level of inflation, we're going to reach the Fed's uh, target probably by the end of the year. So that's really pretty good news. Uh, the core number, that was the headline number, the core number without uh, food and energy is a little higher. It's at 2.9%. It's basically going in the same direction. Now, what happened today was the month to month changes in the numbers. So that CPI uh, was running at up 0.2 per month. It jumped to 0.3 last month. You're going to have some variation in it. It can't, it, it's not going to get down perfectly even. So you're going to get some bumpiness, but the trend is definitely lower, lower, lower. Um, however, this is th that, that jump is actually, and setting the market back, is actually good for us in the portfolio. And let's talk about it a little bit more. Um, as I said, shelter inflation is set to decline more. Rents are coming down, but it's a sticky item, and it's coming down slowly. So we may have some trouble getting from this 3% down to the Fed's 2%, but we'll see. 
it's been coming down pretty pretty dramatically and pretty steadily, much more than people thought. You know, at one point, everyone thought the only way to get inflation down, this is back, you know, like from back in the 70s and 80s, like when I was first starting out, you know, the, the way Paul Volcker crushed inflation was to take rates up to double-digit rates, you know, 14%. That that gave us back-to-back -back recessions, double-dip recession that we had in the early 80s. So that was the standard monetary thought, was that you cannot get inflation down from 9% down to that 2% target without coming in a into a recession. That thought has actually changed somewhat in that people are thinking that inflation's now, maybe, you know, we use the nasty word transitory, um, and when it didn't go away in six months, everyone, well, it can't be transitory. It's been around for six months. So, you know, if it's, if it's coming down slowly without coming into recession, maybe inflation really was somewhat transitory and really a, more of a supply I issue. <clears throat> and so now people are saying, well, there'll be a soft landing. And then the soft landing implies that yeah, the economy will slow, but it won't go into recession. It'll only go down to like, you know, one and a half percent or one percent growth rate. And that's what we need to get inflation. Now people are talking about no landing, which means that the economy is going to go back to running basically a trend and still inflation is going to go down. We were having a hot economy, as I said, 2.5 percent. That's above trend growth last year and still inflation dropped all year. If we go back to a 2% growth rate, which is what our economist is predicting for this next year, um, and inflation continues to go down, that's the no, that's not a soft landing, that's the no landing scenario. That's kind of what we're thinking. So that's all good news. Inflation coming down, economy still doing well. Let's go down. Um, here are the projections for the Fed. The Fed is still projecting that they're going to cut interest rates by about three quarters of a percent, starting, we think, in probably July. That will eventually, if they continue on that trend, and they are expecting to continue on not only in 24, but through 25, you see it's in the projection, and then probably flattening out in 26, that should reignite the housing market. You know, bringing some of those mortgage rates down, that'll be good news for the housing market. That'll re-kick it in. And that, again, will contribute back to GDP because you know what happens when people buy houses or sell houses or move. They're, they're buying new appliances. They're buying new things, soft furnitures, that sort of thing for the housing. So that's another, like it's like a stimulus to the economy. So that's good, too. Let's drop down another two. So what's happening in the portfolio? Well, the portfolio is kind of, it's well balanced. We've got, we've got about a third, a third, and a third. We actually have 44% in, uh, in treasuries um, and 27%. So that's down a little bit in agency securities. The, the difficulty right now, because we're at this top of this interest rate cycle, like I said, we haven't seen it, these rates in like 16 years. Agencies that are issuing debt aren't issuing... Uh, a lot of what we call bullet securities are non-callable securities. So they're issuing floating rate debt, a lot of floating rate debt. Why? Because we're at the top of the interest rate cycle. They figure rates are going to go down. We'd like this to float downward. So, or they're issuing callable securities. 
Why? Because they figure then we, they, they can call it a, another year and then reissue the securities at a lower rate. So they're issuing a lot of those bonds. So we're not buying as many agency bonds as we once were. We're buying more treasuries <coughs> to take place. Uh, corporates, we have a 30% max on the corporates. Um, and you're right at just around 29%. Uh, we may have bumped that up. I like to get it like 29 and a half because the corporates are really doing well. They're paying well. Uh, and the portfolio is running uh, 1.87 years in duration. Uh, we've made that actually a little bit longer uh, recently. Um, I'd like to get that up towards a two-year duration. Neutral for us is 1.8 years, so we're a little bit longer than neutral. Why, why do we want to make it longer? Well, we want to, if we're at the top of the interest rate cycle, we want to lock these in for longer. The really nice thing that's happening in the, in the portfolio is that we're getting out some of the securities that we bought during the pandemic. And you got to remember, during the pandemic, the two-year treasury went down to paying like 17 basis points. Right, so we have a lot of debt coming out. Actually, we've moved a lot of it out, but there's still some in there that's paying, you know, 40 or 50 basis points. We're replacing that now with securities that are paying four plus. So that's really good for the portfolio, and that's helping the performance come back up. Um, and the performance is now over three percent. So we're and it continues to go up every time the bond, some maturity comes off in the portfolio, we're, we're adding 3% 3, 3 to it or, or 4% to it. So that's great. We have to be patient. And the good news, the nice thing about this inflation number being a little bit higher, just and it was only from month to month because the year-over-year year number went, actually went down. But it jumped a little bit from month to month. That back the market up and back interest rates back up. So people maybe uh, are thinking the Fed's not going to cut so soon. And the longer rates stay higher, the better for the portfolio because, you know, we have more of those maturities coming off and rates are still higher. So that's higher for longer is better for us on the fixed income side. So that's going to have uh, a big repercussion um, and should help out with interest earnings. Um, for the portfolio. So let's drop down maturity distribution. You kind of see it's kind of skewed from that. We're adding out in that two to three and three to four and four to five area just to try and make the portfolio a little bit longer. We want to try and skew it a little bit to that right side. And it's probably has been skewed out there um, more than in the past. Uh, the nice thing is the under 90-day bucket, we still have 10% um, of the portfolios. It's 60, um, well, almost $7 million rolling off. So that's great. So if rates stay higher for another couple of months, this is really good. You know, if they don't start cutting until July, those, those bonds will be rolling off. And we're going to throw those out on the back end and lock in some of those higher rates. So that'll help the portfolio out. Um, but rates... Just you saw in that Fed forecast, rates are coming down. Even the Fed themselves is forecasting three cuts this year, 75 basis points, 325 basis so, point cuts. Dave, on that, is there a time period, you know, looking at this 90 to 180, et cetera, 
is there a time period where you're getting higher rates? Because I know on the CDs, we're getting higher rates on short-term CDs than longer-term. Yeah, the market's always trying to trick you to do that. So the, mar the market tries to trick you to stay short when you should be going long. They'll pay you higher on the short end. Why? Because they think interest rates are going to go down, so they're trying to trick you to stay short. You see the same thing during the pandemic when rates were really low. Yeah, you could go out for five years and really get a pickup in in rates, but you were better off actually staying short because you were at the bottom of the interest rate cycle. So we would like to give up a little bit, and you have some money in cash, you've got some money in LEAF, so that's giving you some short-term boost on the short term side. But what we'd like to do is get you some diversification out across the yield curve so that we're locking in these rates for a little bit longer period of time, and we like that sort of two to three year area right now. Well, um Go ahead. Sorry, Mike. So would you take those that are going to mature in 90 days and bump those out to the two to three year or what are Yeah, what are we're going to probably spread them in that two to three year, three to four and four to five up okay. in that area, try and lock in those rates for a little bit longer term. Keep in mind, this portfolio, it gets shorter every day, right? You know, every day, because it's a fixed income, it moves towards maturity. So to even to keep it where we are now, we have to keep throwing uh, securities out further. So Dave, I'm going to probably say what you've already said. The lesson I just heard here was long term right now with what's going to be happening in the markets um, is to go long term, not short term, that it's fool's gold to be in short term. A little tricky, yes, because it looks like you're getting high, and you are getting higher performance on that short term, but it's only going to be for a short period of time because those bonds are going to come off. They're going to come off, and interest rates will start down and be lower. Right yes. now, long term is good, and it can always change. But right now, long term is good. Short term uh, looks like it's good, but not really. But yeah, it could inverse later. Uh, yeah. Can it okay? Can. That's yeah. Um, it can it, it can change any time. But right now, you got this inverted yield curve, which means that short term rates are higher. But that's, that's trying to entice you to go short-term. That's why the market is like that. They're paying up for people <coughs> to move into short-term bonds and not lock in longer term. Um, like I said, we haven't seen this level of rates in 16 years. So the idea is we're probably not going to see them again for a while um, as interest rates start to drop. Let's go down. Let's do some oh, earnings analysis. Um, this look, just looks at our gross earnings, takes the fees out, um, and that gives you net earnings, and then has some estimation of what it could have been made in LAIF. Our added value over LAIF is coming down, but it always comes down at the top of the interest rate cycle. Now we're going to ride down the other side, and that earnings differential versus LAIF will start to grow back again. So the bottom line, after all your fees, if we had been in LAIF, Versus you, were the agency is up six hundred and two thousand dollars. Yes, that's okay. Because right. that that and we have a lot of new members of the board now that oh, didn't okay. go through the exercise when we were in LAIF and when we did this because we saw that there was a big discrepancy that we could uh, do better over time with an organization such as yours. So this is the key number: six hundred and two thousand dollars. Correct? Yes. Okay. Personally, I'd like to see us move more out of LAIF into investment pool, you know, maybe keep a million or so in life and move everything else over. I mean, it's lost opportunity not to get that money working for us at a higher level. 
lock it in at this period. Well, Kimberly, I think you know where I stand on that. I'm, I'm also, it's just also what we're allowed to do. And Harry, um, you want to jump in on that of what we're allowed and not allowed to do? We recently have moved some over to California class, um, excuse me, <clears throat> as well as um, another treasury management within CBB. So our overall average is um, just under 5% for our yield. So better than life. Correct. And, and I'll just add real quick, I think we're even a little more conservative in the, in the way we um, uh, Insight runs our portfolio is, uh, you know, as if we're, we'll have all his money, our money with, uh, with Dave is how he invested, I believe. Um, and so you, you could move more to uh, a more ambitious sort of diversification with, with Dave. But and that's a, I have a note here to discuss this with, uh, with Carrie and... Yeah. yeah, but there's also some rules that we have to follow, I thought, as well, government code or something. Definitely yeah, some both government your policy code. and the statute. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. There's some things that constrain us, and so we're doing fine. Yeah. No, I, I mean, look, the portfolio, we haven't had these kind of returns, like I said, in a long time, which is really nice, uh, being that really you can only go into the fixed income area, so um, you just have to be, and we have, you know, a nice mix of treasuries, agencies, and uh, high-grade corporates. And the corporations are doing well. So, um, no, the portfolio looks great. And I think it's, it's good news, particularly if we can stay higher for longer. You know, if originally the market was assuming that the that Fed would start cutting in March, and that's not true. So uh, we never bought that, but, you know, the market does what it wants to do. Um, it's probably going to start in July uh, unless we see uh, this one month-to-month -month bump in inflation is sustained. Uh, and if we see more inflation, it could be pushed further off. So, I mean, that's always a possibility. It doesn't seem likely. The trend's certainly been much lower for inflation. But the nice thing is the economy's doing well, too. Good, good GDP growth and, and dropping inflation. So, I mean, that's is. Goldilocks of an economy as you can get. So, and the portfolio is doing well. So I had been hearing that in the first quarter of 24 that we would see inflation rates drop based upon what you heard today. Is that not? Yeah, that, and, and keep in mind that's a one month to month number. Now it did go up both on the headline number and on the core number. Food prices did jump up a little bit. Um, and that drove it up on the, the core number. The trend seems to be downward. It, but just like anything else, you're going to have some volatility in that. I mean, we look at the overall trend, all the different inflation numbers from CPI. We're going to get, like I said, PCE next week. Um, I, it's going down. It may take longer. It may, be, it may start to slow. But... We did notice that in the ISM, the Institute of Supply Management numbers, which were also very positive in the growth sector for the service sector, the wage piece of it was hot. The wage piece of it was up a little bit. And they do an inflation uh, gauge in the wages on that, on that service sector. And it was a little bit hot in the last reading. And so the question is, are we going to get some more wage inflation because the job numbers have been so darn good? 
And we had really hot job numbers. We had over 300,000 new jobs in the month of January. And everyone was saying we were going to have, it was going to be below 200. And it was twice that. It was, it was over 300. So, I mean, it was big. It's big numbers. Um, so that's pretty hot. I, I know you guys are pressed for time, but I, I don't want to take up more time. I just have one more question. So we're headed into a political season. You don't see any negative impacts on the markets with the politics. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, the market seems pretty, the stock market seems pretty excited about uh, the upcoming election. doesn't seem to be bothered by it at all. So... Uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but um, uh, the Federal Reserve claims they're agnostic to politics and they're not going to do it. Um, President Trump is saying, well, you know, they're going to cut interest rates. That's going to help President Biden, you know, or you know, former President Trump saying that's going to help President Biden. I think the Fed's going to do whatever they're going to do. And they, they're going to drop interest rates and they probably should. They've got them at this high, high level. And... They need to start feathering that back as inflation drops. So keep in mind, as inflation drops, which it has been dropping very steadily, the tightening actually, even if they hold it at the same level, effectively, the real rates are going up as inflation's going down because you're taking that, the inflation part out and the real rate is getting higher and higher and the real rate is what slows the economy. So even to keep... Uh, real rates even, you have to drop as inflation drops. It, it, it just makes, it makes sense. So uh, it's time to start to feather back that economy. And they know that because they don't want to drive the economy into recession themselves. So I, I don't mean to get political, but maybe you can shed some light on this. You're saying that the economy and everything is doing well. Um, but I'm hearing that um, the Democrats are all concerned about the economy because that, that Bidenomics or whatever is hurting them or, or whatever. Um, and so it's, it's like you're hearing two tales. Um, well, all right. So let, let's look at that, though. Um, and that's a good, really great question, Mike. So inflation now, say we're the increase in inflation is at 3%, and we're excited about that. Okay, um, but keep in mind that we went through really high inflation, so we went through a couple of years where prices went up by 15%. Now we're excited that they're only going up by 3% per year, but they still went up by 15% over the last couple of years. We're not, it's not going down. It went up by 15%, and now we're excited that it's only going up by 3%. So, Okay, so it's what the past is just still holding on to. Okay, sure. I just yeah. I just try to figure all this out when I'm hearing what you're saying, what I'm hearing going on politics, and you, you just hear so much stuff, you don't know what to believe. Well, I, I mean, I, I, it doesn't, as an older person, it doesn't affect me as much, but I think about how it affects my kids. And, you know, they're, the kids... Their wages aren't going up, but all those prices went up, and they are the ones that are having trouble um, yeah. meeting things. You know, and, and so when I look at it from their perspective, they're like, well, you know, prices are like crazy. And, um, and if, 
<laughs> I was just looking at, I just got coffee at McDonald's and I'm looking at prices and, and like, you know, it's $8 for an egg McMuffin now. Uh, so, you know, and you're like, okay, so this, these prices have gone up rather significantly in the last three years on a cumulative basis. Now inflation is getting more tame, but we're not talking about disinflation. We're not talking about things going back down cheaper. We're just talking about them going up not as quickly. And that is, I think, where you're getting some discontent in the, in, in the citizenry. Um, and I think particularly uh, uh, for lower wage earners, because you know, they're closer, they, their budgetary gap is not is, is bigger. Um, because that inflation, they always say, inflation hurts the poor the most, right? So that's where you've got this budgetary gap. Dave, thank you so much. I'm sorry I no, no, even okay. asked that question, just because that kind of gets us off. But I, I'm always wondering when someone in your position, and please remind me, because I f forget, because your firm has changed a little bit. Um, this is a personal question. Do you live here in this state now, or is it Colorado? I live in Colorado. But did you live here at one time? No. No, it's no. always, okay. I, I worked in New York, and so our firm is part of Bank of New York. So we're the, we're, uh, we're the country's largest or oldest financial institution. So uh, started by Alexander Hamilton. It's, it's a play, just this guy. So, but our investment advisory division is part of Bank of New York. And we manage about just under a trillion dollars in assets under management. Um, I did work up in the New York office for, for a time period. They enticed me to come there. Um, but now I'm back in Colorado. Okay. So, and I cover the western part of the United States from the Colorado office, although we do have an office in L.A. and we do have an office in San Francisco. Well, thank you. I just wanted to be reminded of that. I couldn't, for some reason, I had San Diego in my mind. Uh, I don't know why that was. Um, my my, my brother-in-law, my in-laws live in San Diego, so well, North County. Thank so. you, Kathy. Did you have anything? I did not. Thank you. Okay. Thank well, you and Paula just, uh, I mean, they're, they're, at least for me and then one of our economists, kind of the highlight of being on this committee oh, is uh, nice. getting to have you guys come out and get to ask you uh uh, questions and really, really appreciate. I know it's your job, but really appreciate that you come out and see us uh, eyeball to eyeball. Yeah, and I, it's always a pleasure for me to see people because I'm doing a lot of Zoom stuff now, and uh, uh, um, I always liked going to see um, all of our clients. You know, just trying to, and then we can get some interaction like this, and that helps. Um, well. My pleasure. Thank the you. relationships are still important face-to-face. -face. Absolutely. And, and thank you all for having okay. us. Thank you, Dave. back for the board. Now, are, is Dave coming back for the board, or will that be video, virtual, or how's that? Or is I'm it currently just currently scheduled the for the board, um, but if, okay. you know, maybe over the summer, you know, kind of let the first quarter pass, and then maybe check in after that, if you would okay. like. Okay. Yeah, I just so couldn't remember. are right. Just because we have new board members, I think yeah. it would be good for them to make the introduction. Maybe even have a you know a a meeting just with Dave and a few of the board, just so they can yep. you know get to know him and what he's done for us. And we've had a lot of turnover, sure. and um, I think it would be good for people to to see you and and that. Yeah. So. With uh, yeah, Carrie, we'll work with Dave on timing and when it works for for uh, everyone. So we'll we'll look into that. Yeah, this isn't arm twisting. This is just a suggestion no, as, no, no. as things have changed here. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to come back. I mean, I can come back in person in the summer. Or I can do something virtually more quickly. So we'll let staff handle that.
Thank you, everyone. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. To see you all. Thank you. Okay, let's see. Now we're on to the mid-year budget review. And Adnan, do you want to say something about this before you? I know you're going to send it over to Carrie, or what do we want to do here? Yeah, in the interest of time, I won't uh, labor an introduction here. But um, there is another familiar face. Well, it's going to be a familiar voice uh, as introduced by um, uh, at the start of the meeting. But uh, we've got Kathy Cortner here to present the mid-year budget review. Um, this is sort of our, our current understanding with the actuals and the, and the projections to fill in, finish out the year. Um, you'll hear some of the common themes related to what we've seen in investment income as well as um, uh, um, uh, property taxes and some. Kathy will hit on that. So with that, Kathy. You want to explain why we're having Kathy? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we asked Kathy. So Kathy Cortner is our former uh, CFO and general manager um, a few years back. So Kathy is quite familiar with the agency and its finances and, and, and how we've structured our budgets. Um, so we've, uh, we had invited Kathy back to support some of the budget work that we're doing, specifically the mid-year budget review. And you'll also hear from Kathy uh, in the preparation and potential adoption of the uh, next year's 24-25 fiscal year budget. So um, Kathy will be a familiar name and a voice that you'll hear over the next few months. Um, we're happy to have her. She's been great, uh, hit the ground running. We're a little bit behind on, in terms of schedule and in terms of how we typically do this. I think this presentation would have usually come about uh, the time January timing, so we're trying to just kind of get back oh, on I, track given I, the uh, turnover. Maybe I'm wrong. I thought usually February is when we started teeing up. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that, but um, we're good. But thank you for explaining because I think it's sure. important for all of us to understand why uh, we're hearing the familiar voice. And welcome, Kathy. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. And. Yeah, this, it's been a couple of years. I'm feeling a little bit rusty. We'll see uh, how this goes here. Um, Carrie, I, so Carrie's going to advance the slides for me. So for this presentation, we'll get a little bit of the background and context, go over that real quickly. But we're going to spend most of our time on the revenues and expenses and then a little bit on the next steps. And then I can speak a little bit more about where we're a little bit behind and how we're kind of adjusting uh, to get back on schedule. So next slide. Um, again, our strategic objective, this is part of one of the many things that we do to help steward the financial resources of the agency. Next slide. And then this is a familiar graph Lynn had created um, that kind of like, you know, it talks about the full cycle of the budget process. Uh, right now we're in the monitor phase. We'll be heading shortly into, well, Staff internally is already looking at strategic initiatives and developing next year's budget. Um, but then we get into the forecast and then, again, budget performance. So today, this is about how well did we estimate where we were going to be and where our spending would be this year and our revenues. So, Carrie, next slide. So first, to start off with the revenues, um, our cash position did start off a little bit higher than what was anticipated. So. You know, it tells me our revenues came in a little higher last year and expenses a little lower, which is kind of typically where we normally see things, usually from capital, but then property tax also has a, a big influence on this. Um, click again, Carrie. Go ahead and click through. So we're going to talk a little bit about water sales and where we are there. Uh, water transfers. So I'm referring over to the green box in the far right to talk about some of the variances. Water transfers right now, even though it doesn't show a variance, this is a big wild card that can have a, a big swing. So I will touch on that and what that um, the range of potential could be. 
Uh, I'll touch on the taxes. We've just heard uh, uh, from Paula, so that's going to be no surprise there that we're coming in over budget. Um, interest as well. We just heard from Dave, no surprise we're coming in over budget. Uh, grants we are coming in under. I'll spend more time on which projects and kind of how that's happening. Um, you will see an offset though in our capital budget where we're also coming in under budget on capital. So grants revenue, there's a matching expense component that nets close to zero. So on water sales, 2023 was a huge water year. Um, I think, Adnan, correct me if I'm wrong, 100% allocation. It meant trying to move as much water as possible in 2023. And two, thing, two um, customers that we did not anticipate on the water sales that took more water uh, was IDM customers to take 2,400 acre feet more than what we had budgeted. It's almost double what was budgeted. So it was great to see them being able to take advantage of that high allocation here. And then High Desert Power Plant, we didn't budget for them to take any water to add to storage, um, but they did end up taking about 2,000 acre feet. So overall, the major contributors to us coming in over budget on the water sales are these two customer areas. Next slide. So on the water transfers, a wild card here. So currently we have a multi-year transfer agreement that it goes is in effect through the 2025 allocations. So right now, this year, we're budgeting, you know, we're trying to anticipate what's going to happen in 2024. That agreement is a take-or-pay agreement. So once we know what the final allocation is this year, we'll know exactly where we land on that solid green curve. Currently, the allocation is at 10%. Um, so if we land in the less than 30%, then we're, we have no obligations under this agreement. Click again, Carrie. However, it does open up potential for a dry year transfer, but that's, again, a wild card on where the board might want to go with that and how much money that might generate and how many acre feet. So depending on how this year ends and where the allocation is will dictate whether or not the multi-year transfer kicks in and at what range. For example, if we hit somewhere in the 45% range of allocation, we're going to be above $15 million. Quite a bit above that 7.3 million. If we're in the dry year transfer, it's um, you know, Adnan has a better pulse on the market and potential buyers, but ultimately that's going to be board's discretion on where you land there. So again, this agreement is in effect. Um, it's in effect through 2035. However, the minimums that were um, established and committed to only run through 2025. At which point there may be changes, but. You'll see this agreement in play, not just for this mid-year, but also into next year's budget before it then drops off and the conversation will change at that point. So next slide, Carrie. So on the property taxes, you know, again, we budgeted for the 6% increase. 10% is where we're seeing us come in over budget, consistent with what Paula is seeing and reporting. Uh, in addition, when we looked at the general tax, we saw we came in quite a bit higher than that 10%. Paul explained a little bit of it, but not quite all of it. And when Carrie dug a little deeper, it looks like we may not have included uh, the RDA money for the um, general fund tax there. So we'll make a correction next year and add that back in. In fact, I think in historically, that was something that I had never really budgeted for because it was only, you know, maybe a couple hundred thousand. It was immaterial to the grand scheme of things. I, you know, I don't know that it really came into play. In some years, it was down even less. 
So the fact that it's above a million, it means with the dissolution of the RDAs, it's really growing. So um, something we'll start to include and, and pay a little bit closer attention to. So, Carrie? On the interest, we budgeted for 1.75% return. You know, our beginning cash balance was slightly higher. Um, but then the big change was our actual return is closer to 4%. I think you saw on Dave's presentation, he was at the 3 point something percent. We did um, early on in the year uh, invest in a couple of other investments, as Carrie mentioned. So our overall average portfolio return is currently at 4%. That more than doubled um, what we had anticipated and budgeted for. So next slide. On the grants, um, there were multiple grants awarded. And, and feel free to interrupt me if you want as I'm going along. Otherwise, we have room at the end for questions and I can go back. Just jump in. Okay. Um, on the grants, there were multiple grants awarded, uh, both for the agency and mostly capital projects, but also pass-through. We act as a pass-through agency for some of the um, other agencies within our region around Table of Regions. Um, 18.9 million um, is, are the grants for MWA, 15 million for capital projects. Um, we budgeted to receive about 10.2 million of that in this fiscal year. However, all projects, not just the agency, but also on the pass-through, are coming in quite a bit under. And when we get to the expense side on that, I'll, you'll see exactly which project is contributing the most to this under and, and why. Um, but all, all grants are reimbursement, so you will have an offset with the revenue and the expenses. So, um, Carrie, next slide. So this is small here, but um, I debated on including this or not, but I just felt like this slide that was prepared by staff had some really good information that was helpful for me to identify exactly which projects um, we had for um, the grants coming in, the 18.9 million is the agency's share of all of the grants, but there's a total of grants of about 28 million. So again, the difference between those two are the pass-through amounts. You can see for the agency, um, we budgeted revenues of 5.3 million, almost 5.4 million, but we're down on the, you know, closer to the um, million dollar mark. And when you look at that, you can see one of the um, big projects was the uh, multi-banking um, uh, test feasibility, but we also had the um, traveling screen contributing to that. Next slide, Carrie. Hey, before you go on, Kathy, just if it wasn't clear, most of this is getting pushed. So it's, uh, you know, there are awards. It's just a timing issue, so we'll see those. But again, it's because it's an offset. It's the revenue and the, um, and the paired-up expense. Okay. Yes, definitely. Thank you. So on the expenditure side, um, we'll talk about a few major categories here. Again, referring to that green shaded area on the variance. And so one is DWR. Um, the other are water purchases. Again, we're coming way over budget for good reason. Departmental expenses, a little bit under. The grant expenses, we'll touch on a couple of those projects. And then Carrie, click again. Uh, and, and then the capital. Next slide. So the state water project fixed costs, you know, overall we're pretty close to budget, you know, within 2% of the budget, which is good. Um, what, part of the swings we're seeing though, you know, capital costs coming in slightly lower, nothing 
um, earth shattering on that one. But the transportation cost came in much higher than anticipated. So it's causing us to kind of look at what's causing that. Is that a one time they had some major effort that was going on or are we seeing some jumps in trend? So I am currently have meetings scheduled. I'm working with State Water Contractors Inc. Teresa Lytle to try to get a better handle on where the future years are. So when we do the 24-25 uh, budget, um, we'll be able to talk a little bit more about some of the big costs that might be coming down the pike and uh, what we think the uh, future um, costs will be, taking us out past 2035, hopefully. So Carrie, next slide. Water purchases. So 2023, we have, this is a tricky one. You know, we have calendar year allocations from DWR. We make decisions on how much to purchase, how much to transfer on a calendar year basis, but our accounting books are on a fiscal year basis. So there's always this tricky thing of trying to estimate how much is going to be this fiscal year versus last versus next. Um, so first on the calendar year 2023, um, great year for water, 100% allocation. About 100,000 acre feet in total was purchased, plus another 25,000 acre feet was transferred. That means access to 125,000 acre feet in one year, which is great. It means you were able to capitalize or take advantage of some of that Article 21 water that was out there. That I don't think in the history of the agency we've ever uh, been able to utilize that tool and take advantage of that. So how did that shake out for the fiscal year? Well, of the 100,000 acre feet that was purchased in 2023, you know, the allocations tend to come a little bit later in the calendar year. So part of it was received last year. The balance of it is we anticipate is well is coming this year. We budgeted for about 47,000 acre feet in the current year. We think we're going to end the year with about 70,000 acre feet. So that accounts for that five million dollar increase. You know where we're coming in over budget on water purchases. So next slide, Carrie. On departmental expenses overall, we're coming in under by about 1.4 million based on current projections. Um, salaries and wages really are the largest contributor to this, and there's two reasons um, uh, for how this is fitting in. So, Carrie, next slide. Uh, one is, you know, last year was our first year using a new budgeting tool for salaries and benefits, and as we were preparing for this presentation, we noticed uh, a budgeting error where, you know, how the information was brought into the model um, a couple of positions or a few positions were double counted by um, accident. So um, we budgeted for 8.6 million in wages. It should have been 8.1. So we are making a correction for that, um, doing some off-system analysis to make sure whatever ends up getting imported is the correct number for next year. Um, the balance of the variance, though, is about vacancies. There's, um, now, Carrie, do you recall like three to five vacancies, close to five? That we still have out there? But closer to. If you don't five. recall. Correct. Closer to five. Yeah, yeah. So quite a few vacancies out there that are accounting for the balance of the variance. Okay, next slide. On the department of expenses, we're coming in over, but that really has to do with the amount of water that was available for calendar year 2023. Um, you know, we're coming in over budget by. 470,000. I think we budgeted around a million, so we're coming in quite a bit higher. But that has to do with moving a lot more water around, both in R cubed and in IDM. On software licenses, we um, 
There was a budgeting change and effort to move all of the software licenses out of individual departments and centralize it over in IT. So the expenses this year kind of came over there, but last year I, the budgeting didn't occur, the budgeting side. So we're correcting for that. We're spending a lot of time taking inventory of all the licenses out there, and Trevor is on it. So um, we should have that corrected in the next year's budget. Uh, consulting, uh, coming in 195 under, it's not one particular consulting agreement that I could see. It's a little bit um, all over. And then USGS is the biggest one coming in under by 300,000, uh, budgeted about a million, and it's coming in closer to 750,000 as projected currently. And I do want to say the USGS, if you go back one again, this is another one that's tricky because their fiscal year is different than ours, and the program letters span two fiscal years. So we might have a program letter that was issued last year, but some of it spent last year, some of it this year, and so on. I think their fiscal year ends in the end of September. So, you know, so does does some of that or you know carry over to next year? I don't know. Overall, what the board approved in the program letter is not coming in over or under. It's just a timing of what fiscal year it's going to show up in. So next slide, Carrie. On the capital, um, coming in under by 8.9, a couple of the big ones that we're seeing for this year is the um, traveling screen and then the um, some monitoring wells that we had planted for. Um, one of the things that stood out to me, having stepped away for a couple of years and then coming back, is the number of capital projects that are out there on the list, 36 projects planned. Um, 32 have gotten started. It's, it's a lot. It, it, it's a huge workload. So. Um, I know we're spending a lot of time looking at the capital project. One of the things to expect for next year is uh, when we're setting the budget is, you know, we're still trying to get a handle on which projects to include or not include. So we'll have some more discussions on all of that when we come back and present next year's budget on kind of how we're trying to analyze and plan for some of these capital projects going forward. Next slide, Carrie. Um, so the key takeaways, revenue, you know, greater than expected. Um, you know, the grant revenues did come in under, but in all er other areas we did come in over, especially property taxes has really helped to offset some of that. Uh, expenses coming in less, you know, you can, you know, the departmental budgets, uh, the personnel costs as I talked about, but really the biggest contributor is the capital budgets. You know, it's reflective of some of the project delays. There's been some staff turnover. We have new staff. What does that look like? We did have on the um, traveling screen some delays that required DWR review and approval. So that's, uh, you know, takes things and pushes it out another year. Um, we had a wet year, so a lot of staff time got diverted, moving water around, and also dealing with some of the infrastructure outages. So, um, again, next slide. On the budget timeline, so this is where, um, you know, we're running a little bit behind, but I think maybe this is a good thing, too. Um, we're currently in February doing the mid-year. Normally, we do the high-level look at revenues, but um, we usually get those revenue forecasts, you know, kind of just before the day before where that presentation's due and we're scrambling trying to pull it all together. So we chose not to do that. We're pushing it out to March and we're going to present the revenues with the expenses. Again, I don't think you're going to see any surprises on the revenues based on today's conversation. 
Um, so we'll go over that in March along with the high-level look at expenses. We'll start digging a little bit more into the detail in April. And then after that, it's, we'll just keep coming back and answering questions and revising as necessary as, you know, until the board feels comfortable with the numbers and is ready to adopt, hopefully by the end of June. So next slide, Carrie. And with that, I can answer any questions. Start with you, Director Cox. Good to hear your voice again, Kathy. I know we appreciate you coming on board to help us with this. Um, you had mentioned the transportation uh, costs for the aqueduct are up, I think it was 2%. Is that due to uh, energy costs, or what? do you know what you would attribute that to? It could be energy. Um, you know, on the transportation side, well, so let me back up. Energy comes through on our variable rate. So um, actually, no, no, no energy costs hit that transportation rate. That's really about maintaining the aqueduct and, you know, it's regular operation and maintenance, repair and replacement, or capital improvements that, well, yeah. not even capital on the transportation. I can, I can chime yeah, in. I'm like, and I can hear it. It's jogging yeah. your memory now in some of your conversations. Yeah, yeah. Like but the um, uh, we are seeing. I mean, it's you know, in terms of transportation minimums, things have been rather flat, um, sort of artificially flat. What we're seeing a lot of, um, um, uh, well, a lot of renewed interest in asset management on the on the project, which will result in costs. But we're seeing a lot of you know, just like we see with our own infrastructure, you don't pay attention to what things go wrong, and you've got to play catch up, so you can delay costs, but. We'll see those increases later, um, and they'll. Um, so we're we're starting to see that um, on the variable cost. You know, I, I don't know what the uh, the uh, the kind of the ending at, weighted cost of our variable charges for last year. They may have probably been close to the the, the two fifty three hundred dollar range, which was higher than usual. So we're seeing increases in variable as well. Um, energy specifically is a major. Um, it's a large risk for us as the as the. You know, the state's transitioning to uh, renewables, and um, we also see what's happening in the in the energy market itself, transmission costs, all of that. It's all playing in, so we continue to track it. Um, but, um, yeah, also the fixed costs are going up. Um, uh, and as soon as you start to complicate things like that with Delta conveyance out in the future, we can start to see that there are some, some pretty, you know, large mounting costs. Okay, thank you. That's all I had. Sure. Okay, could we... Um... Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Director Cox. Uh, could we go back to the budget timeline? So sure. it's showing the um, the possibility of April May um, adopting this. Am I seeing that with the potential adoption? Um, I know we always That's try. We well, well, it says potential adopt discussion in April, and I know we usually try to get it done in May, so we're done well before July. So we're we're on. We're yeah. on board to do that. Yes, absolutely. We're, you know, basically on the same timeline. The only difference is the the revenue would essentially be, and histor historically presented at uh, the same meeting with the mid year review. So, but that's going to be presented with the expenses. So we're on the same timeline. Just kind of put the revenue expenses together. Okay, so that's April May. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I just know we always have it so that we could do it in June, but we try to get it. Uh, done early if the board's ready, and I, I just wanted to ask questions surrounding that. Okay, 
Thank Brianne, you. Brianne, we'll yeah. probably do the same as we did last year. We opened it up for the board members to review it online uh, versus having the, the hard copies. Um, we, we can, by all means, print off um, some hard copies if that's requested, um, but we'll open it up once it's ready to be reviewed and then answer any questions at these additional They'll meetings. They'll have time to ask staff behind the scenes and get that. Right, and our, and our target is to shoot for an April kind of complete draft budget. So it could be, you know, if there were no, you know, if, if everything is looking good, it could be uh, ready for adoption at that point. So that's our target as, you know, so as early as April, but we tend to usually right. approve it in June once in a great while it might, I mean, May, and then once in a great while it might go to June, but okay. I just, okay. Then I think we're done uh, on this item. And so uh, now we're going to public participation. Is there any public participation, Cleo? Not at this time. Nothing in the, okay. Um, then on to general manager's report. Nothing further to report, thanks. Okay, and then I just wanna say again, I forgot to mention, it's just how uh, nice it is to have um, Kathy Cortner back in a, I'm assuming in a consulting way. It's always nice to have people be able to come back with their talents and be able to, I'm assuming, supplement what uh, what is going on here. So. Appreciate that very much. And um, any comments or discussion items for uh, next or future agendas, either of you? Just a pleasure to sit in. Great meeting for Rick to miss. It's one of my favorite uh, discussions. Not good for him, but good for you. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, with that, we are at adjournment. Thank you, everybody. We had a lot packed into this meeting and got it done earlier than I uh, anticipated. Thank you, everyone. Was Kathy? Was